1: well, good afternoon. Richard Duggan here for you on Target this afternoon. Of course, uh, as you just heard, Linda uh, was on open line this morning, so we're giving her a little bit of a break, and I'm taking over the reins on what is a snowy, messy day out here, at least in the metro and uh, eastern Newfoundland. Uh, when I came in this morning, the roads were slick. Uh, they were pretty pretty rough. It was slow going out there, uh, especially on those on and off ramps, uh, those merge lanes. I find that they tend to be little uh, bit. A little later in the game, and I noticed a couple of drivers uh, stuck in the snow as I was coming into the station this morning. So it's a messy and a gross one out there. Um, Throughout the show today, I will be keeping an eye on weather conditions outside, and if there's anything that you need to know traffic-wise or whatever, uh, we'll have that for you here as well. Um, Of course, I think the best thing today is if you don't have to leave your house, don't do it uh, stay at home cuddle up and you can listen here on on target for the afternoon on today's program uh, got some got a pretty interesting guest here today so earlier today uh, campaign 2000 released its annual report on child po- poverty uh, that includes a look through the national lens as well uh, released with that was a look at child poverty right here in Newfoundland and Labrador uh, local foundation the Jimmy Pratt Foundation was involved in drafting that report report and their executive director Neria aylward joins me now Neria, good afternoon good afternoon richard well thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join the program today hope you're staying nice and warm with that nasty weather outside uh, but you know to talk about this report i guess just to start off uh, give us a little bit of an overview of what this report is about and uh, some of the main takeaways for you
0: yeah, absolutely. Um so this is a the Campaign 2000 has been releasing an annual report card on child poverty for over 20 years now. And the reason for that is that in 1989, if you can believe it, the House of Commons passed a unanimous motion to end child poverty by the year 2000. Um obviously that that hasn't happened. That's why we're talking about this today. Um but that's where the name Campaign 2000 comes from. It's a national coalition. Of, of you know, from it involves not-for-profit organizations, labor unions, faith groups. Um, it's a really broad, co- diverse coalition across the country who wanted to hold the the federal government accountable to those goals. Um, here we are, almost 30 years over 30 years later, um, and child poverty still hasn't been eliminated in the in the country, and not in our provinces, Newfoundland and Labrador. So, Campaign 2000 um, expressed to reach out actually through the community sector council. um, And they said, you know, why don't you folks put together something for Newfoundland and Labrador? They'd never had an accompanying provincial report card for our province. And so we co-wrote this with, so I was with the Jimmy Pratt Foundation. We also worked with Choices for Youth and uh, the community sector council to put together a report for this province. It's the first time we've done it. And it was really interesting, uh, Richard. I think the big takeaway, we were looking at Stats Canada data, and there's always a bit of a lag um, in because, you know, it takes a while for them to process it. And so we're looking at data for 2020, which is the first year of the pandemic. And maybe counterintuitively, we saw across the country that child poverty actually went down. Um, but, when you dig into those numbers a little bit more and i 'm sure we 'll have time to talk about this over the next hour or so um, it 's a bit more complicated than that um, first of all, I mean first of all it 's notable that in Newfoundland and Labrador, child poverty rates have actually been climbing over the past few years, and they probably wouldn 't have gone down in two thousand and twenty without pandemic benefits like the CERB. and so you know we can learn a lot from the CERB about what it might look like to have an equitable um, income support program that wasn't stigmatized in the way that income support currently is, Um, and that, you know, it really can reduce child poverty. But we're also seeing, you know, even though it was reduced seven percentage points, it's still at 16% in our province. That's higher than the national average. And that, you know, the kids who are poor in this province, it's very inequitably distributed. It's not, you know, it's in certain regions of the province among certain populations. And that shows that, you know, the way our systems are set up, um, it's not fair to many communities and families. And so we have to really invest in public services as well to balance the scales.
1: Now, talking about this drop in numbers that we saw in 2020 and what was seen across the country, how was it that child poverty rates were able to fall, given, you know, when I look back at 2020, you know, what I think about from that time is job loss, things becoming tighter for families. So how was it that those rates were actually able to fall in 2020?
0: Well, so the reason is basically pandemic transfers and emergency benefits. Um, The CERB was a big one, um, and then that became the Canada Recovery Benefit. There were a number of other ones. Um, there was also a one time top up to the Canada Child Benefit. Um, and as I think many folks pointed out at the time, the CERB was, was a lot more than you would make on income if you were on income support in this province. It, what they determined, the CERB determined you would need to live every week, was $500 a week, is a lot more than what we give the poorest folks in in most provinces um, in Canada. And so basically that's, you know, it's really kind of counterintuitive because there was a lot of job loss, but at the same time, folks were making more um, at home. And that's actually a good thing. We also have really low minimum wages here in Newfoundland and Labrador. There has been an increase, but it's not nearly a livable wage. And so you actually, the fact that people were making more on um, is is quite telling about the economic system that we have. Um, you know, the other, the flip side of that, too, is that in 2021, you know, a lot of those pandemic benefits ended. Um, a lot of folks we've been hearing about, and there's not very many hard numbers on this right now, but there's been folks who've been asked to repay their SERB. Um, even though, you know, they'd been encouraged by caseworkers and all the, the communications led them to believe that they were eligible. Um, so now they're going to have to turn around and find a way to pay that back. Um, we know the cost of living has just rise, risen so much um, in the, across Canada and in the province over the past two years. And so, to be honest, we do expect that that that. that those numbers going down, they're going to turn around and go right back up because there hasn't been anything to replace those pandemic benefits, and it's only gotten more difficult and expensive to live.
1: And of course, for you, you know, in your role with the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, you'd be dealing with a lot of uh, people who would be impacted uh, by these numbers. What goes through your mind when, when you hear, when you see these numbers of uh, children in poverty, like you said, the numbers went down, but they're still incredibly high. Um, what, what goes through your mind when, when you were helping to write this report and, and breaking down these numbers?
0: Well so a bit a bit about the the Jimmy Pratt Foundation just briefly we focus on policy, policy change that helps children and youth flourish in Newfoundland and Labrador and we focus especially on folks who have a lot of barriers to their flourishing um generally what that means is is kids who are living with poverty i mean fo- poverty is and we write about this in the report is the biggest social determinant of health um and it's It's really difficult when you're excluded socially and economically to thrive. Uh, And so that was our interest in being involved in this report um, was to dig into the data and try to understand a bit better um, where the folks are in this province who are struggling the most. Um, I would say we came at this with another kind of lens as well is that most of our advocacy over the past um, decade has been in early learning and child care. We're really focused on. Bringing, uh, making childcare affordable and accessible and high quality um, and available for every child in this province. And so, this is especially interesting to us looking at child poverty statistics because there is a real link between the availability of childcare and affordable childcare and child poverty. Because um, if you just think about it logically, um, if there's not affordable, accessible childcare, it means that parents are staying out of the workforce. Um, and it means that they they might not be making enough to live on, um, and I think that's it's pretty telling that one of the lowest rates of child poverty in the country is in Quebec um, because they have a, they've had for decades a, a low cost child care system that they implemented provincially long before there was federal money for this, and so those were the kind of things that we were interested in understanding. You know, how is poverty distributed in Newfoundland and Labrador, um, and you know how has it changed over the years? We have how have public policies at the provincial level impacted um, child poverty? But also, you know, as we're looking at rolling out $10 a day childcare across the province, um, what impact could that have on child poverty as well?
1: Yeah, and I was just about to ask that very question, actually, with the $10 a day childcare coming in from the province. You know, the, do you think that that's making or do you think that that will make enough a difference in terms of the numbers that we're seeing and, and the number of people that are struggling?
0: I really hope that it will, Richard. Um, and that's, you know, we we can expect that these trends You know, we're losing pandemic-based benefits. The cost of living has has gone up, but that's one really good thing that's happened in the past two years. Um, $10 a day childcare is huge. um, And... Newfoundland and Labrador it's really worth noting that that we're one of the leading provinces in reducing fees for parents um by the like we're down to $10 already that's not the case for every for parents in every province so i really hope that it will have an effect but it can't really have a, a meaningful effect until it's accessible to every family and at this point i'm sure you've heard stories and many of your listeners have as well about how difficult it is to get childcare um and for many parents it's it's Ten dollars a day is cool, but it's it's not a reality. They they're putting kids on waitlist as soon as they're as soon as they know that a child's going to be born, um, and still by the time the kid is, is three, there's still no spot that's that's opened up. And so the priority for the next couple of years on the part of the provincial government is it has to be expansion um, and making sure that that's a reality for every family. There's also, you know, and we have to think as well if we're talking about child poverty um, and reducing numbers of of kids in poverty, um, many of those kids are facing additional barriers. $10 a day might be too much for those families. Um, And so right now there is a full subsidy for early learning and child care, but for, sorry, for child care, for folks mostly on income support. Um, But it's really, and you know, we've heard this, um, and we've heard it with Choices for Youth and our work with them, um, that it can be really stigmatizing um, accessing that subsidy. So that's one of the recommendations we make in the report is making sure that you know it doesn't depend on what your parents do that you get to go to childcare kids childcare is valuable because kids get to socialize there they learn it gets them ready for kindergarten um, and it shouldn't depend on what parents are doing but access to that um, the other thing that is worth considering is that is transportation is a really big issue um you know, it's it's also because child care right now is in such short supply, parents are often having to, like, drive long distances. And for many families, like, they don't have a car. They can't afford to maintain one. Outside of St. John's, it's basically not feasible uh, to use public transit. Even in St. John's, there is a lot to be desired. And so there is a lot that has to change in our child care system to make sure that low-income families can use it. Uh, because otherwise, you know, I, I heard somebody say once, and this was in a rural area, that, you know, there is childcare in the next town over, but, but that may as well be on the moon, <laughs> because there's no way for us to get there. And so those are the kinds of things that need to be considered when we're talking about reducing poverty.
1: We're speaking with Neria Aylward on today's edition of On Target. She is the executive director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation. Today we're talking about uh, Campaign Two Thousand releasing its annual report on child poverty, and of course, uh, Jimmy Pratt Foundation involved in uh, the release of a similar report for Newfoundland and Labrador that goes hand in hand with that. Uh, We have to take our first break of the day here on On Target. Uh, But when we come back from the break, um, I was going through the report earlier, and there are a couple of really interesting maps. Uh, included in there that sort of breakdowns, uh, breaks down pardon me, uh, poverty rates by region of the province, and I, I want to dive into that a little bit more when we come back here on your VOCM. Join us for On Target, one hour in which Linda Swain examines topics that mean the most to you. On Target, weekday afternoons at 1 on your VOCM. And welcome back. Richard Duggan in the studio with you this afternoon. We're speaking with... Neria Aylward, executive director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, talking about this uh, pair of reports that were released earlier today looking at child poverty. And Neria, just before the break, you know, uh, you were talking about early childhood uh, education and access to it and how that could be you know, a factor in terms of uh, the rates of poverty that we're seeing and how that can impact. Um, and it got me thinking about this other statistic that I saw in the national report when I was going through it earlier. And I'll just read it uh, verbatim here. It says one in eight children are growing up with the short and long-term physical, mental, emotional, and economic and social harms of poverty. Um, pretty broad swath of, of, of things to look at there and I think for a lot of people you know we look at poverty in terms of the immediate and the immediate needs that comes with that but I think that sort of shines a light on some of the long longer term longer term problems uh, do you agree?
0: Yeah absolutely um, and in our provincial report we link you know it's Campaign 2000 has said that, but it also came up in the Health Accord, um, which was a provincial policy, which I'm sure you've talked about lots on, on the show. Um, but the Health Accord wrote about that a lot, that poverty is the, is the number one social determinant of health. Um, and relate, there's related social determinants of health, like housing, security, and food security. Um, those all contribute to people's lifelong health. It, it And it's really complex with the way that they interact Um it's difficult to have housing if you don't have secure income. Um, if you don't have secure income, it's difficult to secure housing. And then even furthermore, the, the relationship between health and poverty is a complicated one um, because folks who have poor health and who might be disabled um, face barriers to, to earning enough income in, in the society that we live in um, to, to survive on. And so, and we know that income supports really aren't, aren't sufficient. And then it goes the other way as well that, you know, having, having low income and being poor, and this is the, the boat that a lot of children are in, um, they have no say over the economic circumstances that they're born into. Um, those have lef- lifelong health effects. And I think that we're becoming more and more cognizant of that as a society. I think this health accord was really exciting to see um, because there was such an emphasis on prevention on, on, and on recognizing that a lot of the poor health that we see in our province um, traces back to inequality and economic inequality and the food insecurity, the housing insecurity that so many of our neighbors and, and community members live with.
1: Neri, I want to get into uh, there are a couple of maps included with the provincial report that I was looking at earlier, and um, there's a map in there breaking down child poverty by region in Newfoundland and Labrador. And what really struck me were the rates for uh, St. George's, which has a rate of 28%, I believe it was, and Nunatsiavut with uh, 24.7% rates for child poverty. Um, you know, uh, much of the rest of the province in terms of those regions seem to be at least on par with the provincial average but those areas are quite higher uh what's missing there what's not happening in those areas that should be
0: yeah it's um it is pretty shocking the distribution of poverty in in, within the province and i think that's one of the reasons that doing a provincial report card is important because it you know uh, because we can break it down beyond the provincial average and recognize that you know if you're looking at um Even within St. John's, there's a map that breaks down the St. John's metropolitan area, which is actually most of the Northeast Avalon, Mount Pearl, CBS, uh, Paradise. You'll see as well there, like, huge, huge differences. And within, um, even within that small area, we have areas that are up to 40% child poverty, and then we have areas that are lower than 10%. So it's really important to recognize that that it's not the same everywhere. The circumstances really differ. And to speak to those two specific areas, you know, as report writers, none of us are based in. In a, all of our organizations are based in Saint John, so we try to be cautious about making policy recommendations about places that we that we don't live and that we're not <laughs> that we're not really familiar with the issues. Um, but that said, you know, there are some things that we do know. We know that Saint George's is mostly it's. So, and the way that the regions were broken up, I should note as well for your listeners, is by census divisions. Um, these are just the way that the census divides up the province, um, and it seemed like a, a fairly useful way to to put the province into regions. And so, St. George's, we're looking at kind of the Stephenville, Port Arthur Peninsula area. And you know, from my, from my, my deal dealings with folks who work in early learning and child care out there, there's a real dearth of public services. Um, there's no option of public transit. If folks don't have a car, they can be really isolated. Um, There's a health care crisis in much of rural Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, It's difficult to access health care And so, you know, we have to see child poverty as connected to those to those other public services. It's not just about, you know, there's not a lot there might not be a lot of job opportunities. But on the other hand, there might not be a lot of public services as well compared to what you can access, for example, on the Avalon. Um, We saw we saw as well. um, And I think that that's an interesting thing to think about. I mean, just listening to um, we know that there's there's the potential for an energy development on the Port of Port Peninsula Um, and thinking about. Right now, there's no that there's no there's a lot of services that are that are missing on that peninsula now that could really improve people's ability to to raise children not in poverty. Um, and with and in Inuvialuit, I think we should always we should take and include it. I should note as well, the census division is called Inuvialuit, but it also includes Natwashish, which is an Inu community. Um, and so those are all Indigenous communities. And I think we note in the report that. Poverty in Indigenous communities is is really complicated because it's a legacy of colonialism. And in order to to pa- chart a path forward, we really do need to take the lead from from the leadership of those communities. I know that in Nunatsiavut, um, they they had a they had a report done by the Child and Youth Advocate um, talking about a related phenomenon, which is like the rate of children from Nunatsiavut who were in care. And there was a number of Really important systemic changes outlined in that report, and I know that the provincial government is in the process of implementing those with the Nunatsiavut government. So I think that's possibly an example of of where you know the provincial government can take the lead from from those communities because the whole the whole um, the whole relationship that the provincial and federal government has with Indigenous communities is one of the reasons that folks are poor. Um, it's not anything intrinsic to those people. It's because they've been marginalized.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think you brought up a pretty good point there. You know, the issue of um, poverty, especially in indigenous communities, I mean, it's such a complex issue. And and, and you mentioned, you know, um uh or you made reference to it i believe you know and and we know that there's um an inquiry going on right now uh in labrador in yeah. relation to uh new children in care so you know the whole broad range of issues there that uh, you know it's it's not just one i guess umbrella term
0: absolutely and i think you know the statistics from from stats canada are actually not they're not great when it comes to indigenous communities they're only and you'll see that in the report they're only broken down by inuit first nations on reserve first nations off reserve and metis and obviously um depending on what nation you first nation you might be a part of and what part of the province you're you live in your experience might be very different um, and so, I think the recommendations that we make on the in the report are you know there are great plans that have been put out there, the provincial council. Uh, The Provincial Advisory Council on Indigenous Women has put together a wonderful report called Hear Our Voices, and it's a response to the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women women and Girls Inquiry. Um, And there are really tangible steps there that talk about child poverty, that talk about prevention, and how we can support families in a culturally appropriate way and balance the scales, right, and give power back to those communities. So there are answers out there that communities have put forward to these really, what seem like really complicated systemic issues. Um, And it's really incumbent on our provincial government and, like, in some cases, municipal governments and all of us settler listeners to take those seriously. Um, So, yeah, I'll leave
1: it there. A lot to dig into, no doubt, and and realistically, the the issue of... uh, of indigenous uh poverty rates you know that that could be a whole separate conversation altogether. um niria uh we have to head to another break uh here on the program today but when we come back uh, i want to talk about these numbers and maybe how sort of they compare to other areas uh of the country Uh, we'll dive into that coming up after these messages Got plans for midnight? Bring your VOCM along with the best soundtrack for every night, anywhere. The VOCM All Night Show. Midnight on your VOCM. And welcome back, Richard Duggan, in with you this afternoon. We're speaking with Neria Aylward of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, talking about um, the uh, reports released earlier today on child poverty, both at both at the national level and at the provincial level here. Um, and Neria, uh, before uh, I wanted to circle back to something that we were talking about there before the break. Uh, we were talking about the maps that are included in uh, the provincial report, um, and you mentioned access to services when we were talking there for a while about child care. Um, and what struck me about specifically uh, for the rates in the metro region, uh, as we mentioned, you know, some of those rates there between the 30 and 40 percent range for child poverty. Uh, what struck me was that this is an area, you know, where arguably there is the greatest access to resources, you know, whether that be public transit or this is where this area is where, you know, a lot of foundations are headquartered um but we're still seeing those those rates uh, what do you make of that it's
0: and i know this is not a satisfying answer <laughs> but it's obviously it's complicated and it it really that map of st the st johns census metro area is that it's as i said it's the northeast avalon um first of all in St. John's, you know, we do have areas of public housing, and so that means that it can be quite economic, areas of the city can be quite economically stratified, so you'll have to- A certain postal code that will be mostly public housing, um, and that will there will be much higher rates of child poverty there. Whereas you're you're looking at statistics in in smaller communities where you know neighbor there's there might not be neighborhoods. (laughs) It's a small community. There's more of a mix of incomes, but that's certainly a factor in the St. John's area. It's a high cost of living, and just seeing the cost and a real rental crisis that we're in right now. A lot most low-income families do rent. Um, And their cost of living has really gone up. So even though there might be certain supports in place, like in St. John's, like, you know, there is some public transit, even though it might not come on time or be or be reliable enough for a family with multiple children that they have to get different places, that might not be outweighed with how much the cost of living has risen in this in the in the city. Um, there's currently we, we write a bit about this in the report, but there's no kinds of rent control um, in the in the city right now. Um, and we're seeing, you know, it, the the lack of affordable housing is really taking a toll. Um, and so the, it's it's complicated um, in St. John's. But, you know, we we've heard overall that over the past couple of years that poverty has on the on the whole that we can we know from community organizations that food bank usage has increased, that rates of homelessness have, have gone up. Precar- There's a lot more precarious housing. Um, and so I think that we'll see a little bit more clearly in the next couple of years uh, how that map might change.
1: How do the numbers that we're seeing right now re- uh, compare to what's being seen in other areas of the country?
0: So I mentioned before that that the low, some of the lowest rates of child poverty are at the Yukon and Quebec. Um, personally, I, I I will be totally frank. I don't know as much about the Yukon as I know a lot more about the child policies that they do have in Quebec, um, and those tend to be really family friendly, um, starting. At the early learning and child care strategy that they put in place decades ago, decades ago. Um, I think that's a really concrete example of a public service that keeps the cost of living for families really manageable. Um, there's decent public transit in most of Quebec, um, and those things really they impact the. And there's also quite strong rent protections and housing protections in many areas, and so those things do keep the cost of living for families manageable. Um, because you know we've had inflation across the country, but if you think about it if certain of your co- some of your costs at least are are fixed and accounted for if you know that you're going to have for example childcare that costs $10 a day which is hopefully the going to be the case for more and more families in our province um, that takes a bit of that burden off and the same goes for knowing that your rent can increase or knowing that you're going to pay the same to, to take the bus to work and back and then you don't have to worry so much about the price of gas um so i think that's something to consider so in terms of our where we sit across the country um newfoundland and labrador is about you know we're on the higher end we're above the we're above the provincial average um we are not the highest, we don't have the highest rate of poverty um, in the Atlantic provinces. Nova Scotia does at 18%. We're 16.4. But, you know, we're above the average. um, And in certain areas, we're we're very much above the average. So when it comes to lone parent families, so single parent families, especially um, single parent families led by women, we are 10 percentage points um, above the nearest um, Atlantic, other Atlantic province. And so, it really, it really does vary. We're, we've consistently underperformed in this area, especially since um, the poverty reduction strategy expired in 2016. We saw child poverty rates ever since then have, cl- have climbed up every single year. And so it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years as, you know, some certain provincial initiatives, like $10 a day childcare, like the social and economic well-being plan, while like the health accord, as those begin to take shape, um, You know, I'm optimistic that child poverty um, might come down a little bit, but I think it's going to go up first because those things haven't come into play yet. And the cost of living has really
1: increased. And that leads into my next question. Um, The, you know, we saw a reduction in uh, rates or in poverty rates in Newfoundland and Labrador for 2020. You said that, um, you know, we're expected to see those rates increase. Um, But the fact that we saw, The drop in 2020, whether, you know, even though it was because of um, the pandemic supports that were in place. What does that tell you about how possible it is to end child poverty?
0: I think it tells us that it's it's entirely possible. Um, I think. You know, we have this cultural sense that poverty is something that it's always going to exist, that there's something that, you know, there's nothing that we can really do about it. Um, But if you look at, you know, globally across the province, there are hugely different uh, across the country. Sorry, there are hugely different rates of child poverty, even looking at the same way of measuring it rates really vary and they correspond pretty closely to how much, how t- seriously you take these issues and what kind of policies there are in place to implement them. And so I think what one of the things we did learn from from 2020 is that income supports, um, in the in this case, CERB, CERB was the main one and the Canada Recovery Benefit, um, you know, those were pretty barrier-free as well. You just had to click, yes, I qualify. I mean, later, you know, the... The CRA came back at many folks and, and took and um, took those be- benefits back. But, you know, at the beginning, the qualification, it wasn't very stigmatized compared to the process of getting income support. It's really easy to get. Um, and it was sufficient. And it brought people above the poverty line. Um, and then we saw that poverty, child poverty rates reduced. And so I think that tells us something really important, which is that what many folks in the in this not for profit sector and in government already know that income support is really important and that it has to be a pathway um for folks to live with dignity um, it, at the point right now our child if a family on income support will be below the poverty line um and that's just i mean it's it's really it's really immoral in a country as rich as ours that, you know, there are folks li- still living in poverty. So even our income support rates, they're not high enough. They haven't been indexed to inflation for years. So folks on income support have been effectively losing money. And it's uh, it's very punitive for folks when they're, when they're kind of trying to enter the labor, labor market and make more money because they're seeing a lot of those their benefits cl- being clawed back and the, their earnings clawed back. And so we need a much more... Um, a much more universal and a much more low barrier and more dignified system of income support to make sure that nobody falls below a certain a certain kind of threshold
1: You just touched on it a lot there, uh, you know, uh, about the need for better income support. Um, And, of course, that is the crux for uh, many of the recommendations that come out of these reports. Uh, We're going to dive into that coming up. Uh, We have to take our final break of the day. Uh, Again, uh, you're listening to Nerea Aylward, Executive Director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, talking about these reports uh, that were released uh, through Campaign 2000. We're going to take our final break of the day, and we'll continue this conversation when we come back. Take a break. Join us weekdays from 1230 to 1 p.m. as we discuss anything and everything that's happening now. It's all on the table during your VOCM lunch break. And welcome back to the show. We're speaking on today's edition of On Target with Neria Aylward. She is the executive director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation talking about these reports that were released earlier today on child poverty. And Neria, we have just about eight minutes left to the show, and I want to get into some of the recommendations, that. Come out of this report. Uh, what are some of the big recommendations? So we've talked about a few of
0: them, especially those around early learning and child care and income support. Um, so, but there are also some others. So we we try to kind of broadly organize them. I mean, it's a bit of an artificial distinction, but between things surrounding income support, because I think we learned a lot about income, the importance of income support. Um, In 2020, then also public services, investment in public services. And the third was in terms of like systems and legislative changes that need to happen. Because we found that while child poverty as a whole went down, um, it still remained deeply unequal. And we've talked about that a fair bit over the past hour, you know, seeing Indigenous communities on the north coast of Labrador having such higher rates of poverty than you see in other areas of the province. Um, also, you know, we talk, we've we talked about lone parent families, especially those led by women. What we haven't talked about as much is racialized children and families have much higher rates of poverty in this province. And the same is true for immigrant families. And so we can see there that there are real, you know, there are real barriers to certain communities getting out of poverty and that we need to make sure that and income supports don't, they don't um, make everything equal. They kind of raise everybody up a little bit, but you know we're we're at starting points. And the b- role of public services is to control the cost of living and to ensure that everyone has access to certain things. And so housing. is there, So we talked a lot a, b- a bit in our report about housing, the importance of affordable housing in this province. Um, we need more. Pu- we need more of public housing, um, in, like provincial. Municipal, all the kinds of not-for-profit housing. Uh, we need a lot more of that, and I think many of your listeners could probably relate to how how difficult it is to find good housing these days. Um, public transit is really important um, in this province. It's basically assumed that that you're going to need a car um, in order to live, be included in society, and that means you know for following your interests and doing participating in social events, but also getting to healthcare appointments, um, getting to a job. I hear. You know, with I, I hear a lot that you know, with not-for-profits that work with single moms that work with women who are trying to get back to work, but one of the number one issues that they have is that a they can't find childcare, and b if they if they do, they don't have a way to get to work and to get their kids to childcare. We really desperately need public transit in this province um, because families. Need it. <laughs> um, the other thing that we we talked about a little bit is is implementing um, the recommendations that made by indigenous, different indigenous organizations, whether it's coalitions or governments, um, that change that change the way that our systems work in Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, but we also need to. We need to look look at, at anti racism as well. I think that addressing Islamophobia made some great recommendations in two thousand and nineteen about making this a more just place not just for for Muslim families but for for all racialized families in the province. Um, I'm trying to think what else i have we haven't talked about too much. Um, I think something else that came out um, from looking at these statistics is the importance of. Pay equity legislation. We saw that um, sing- that lone parent families led by single mothers are way more likely to be in poverty. It's it's forty percent of thing- of single ma- mothers uh, families led by a single parent who is who is a, identifies as a woman um, and. Part of the reason for that is that childcare is so hard to find, and often that role falls to, to single moms. Um, but even when they do go to work, women are more likely to work in low-wage jobs. We don't have pr- pay equity legislation in Newfoundland and Labrador, and we have one of the largest gender wage gaps. The last thing that, that we talked about is the importance, you know, we haven't had a poverty reduction strategy since 2016. Hopefully through the social and economic well-being plan, we're going to, to see a renewed focus on poverty reduction. Um, But in there, we need to have some clear objectives around food security, um, around housing and around income security and around income. You know, the government needs to really be accountable for how it spends its money and seeing that it's distributed, redistributed to people who have the least. Um, And so we need we kind of need change at a number of different levels. We need to give families more money (laughs) so that they can make their own choices and and make sure that their own needs are met. But we also have to make sure that, you know, the things that they need are available to them. And I think childcare is such a great example of that, that right now, again, all the CERB in the world can't get you a childcare spot. You can't get one for love nor money. So that's where we need governments to step in and make sure that things like housing and transit and and childcare are actually available and they are affordable. And then finally, we need to, to have some systems change that, that makes our country, our province, well, our country as well, because these are trends for the whole country, but also our province, a better place for Indigenous folks to live and for, for immigrants and for racialized people.
1: Nerea, we have just about three minutes now left to the program. Uh, There's a lot to get through there in terms of those recommendations and a lot of uh, areas that need attention. Um, For the decision makers that are in power right now, where do you want to see them start?
0: Well, luckily, I think, you know, maybe I'm too much of an optimist, but luckily, I think that Uh, there is a renewed focus right now on poverty reduction in the province. And that's one of the reasons we felt that it was important to write this report. Now we want um, the government to know that those of us in the community sector are behind them and we want to see government led change in this area. Um, And that, you know, there's, there's so much support. I think there's a growing awareness of how much people are struggling right now in our province, whether it's in terms of food security or housing or childcare, I think there's a growing recognition that, that it's, it's hard to raise a family right now in this province and that it's incumbent on all of us to to step up and help and make sure that no kid grows up in poverty um i think that government should should re- should realize that voters want to vote for that um that's that should be i think that's a core value of who we are in this province
1: Neria Aylward, thank you so much for uh, taking time out to spend the, the last hour with us uh, talking about this very important report. Um, if people want to read this report or get inf- more information from uh, the Jimmy Pratt Foundation or any of the other foundations that were involved in the drafting of this, how can they do that?
0: I would recommend going to the Campaign 2000 website, because not only is our report there, but you'll see the national report as well. And if you're a nerd like I am, you can read everyone else's reports. Um, and our, our website is the thejimmyprattfoundation.ca, but Choices for Youth and the Community Sector Council of Newfoundland and Labrador are also on Facebook, and they, you can look at their websites as well.
1: Nuria Aylward, Executive Director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation. Thank you so much for this today. Uh, really informative chat
0: thank you so much for having me.
1: Excellent. Again, that was Neria Aylward, Executive Director of the Jimmy Pratt Foundation, talking today about uh, the reports released by Campaign 2000 at both the local, or sorry, at the provincial and the national levels. Uh, that just about does it for me on today's edition of On Target on this very snowy afternoon. So if you're out on the roads today, please remember, drive safely, drive slowly. It's better to arrive in one piece than to have to be taken away in an ambulance. So thank you all very much for tuning in oh and happy valentine's day too i completely forgot about that that is also happening today uh so thank you very much again for tuning in i'll be back in this chair once again tomorrow for another episode of on target and now let's go to noah with the news